I created a life based on those beliefs that I had that were all based on scarcity and not being lovable and not being attractive and not being smart. I found myself at 25 years old. I was 340 pounds. Uh, I went to, to college. I, I eventually dropped out because I just didn't believe I was a student. I found myself stumbling into a career with Bose Corporation. You could work me 60 hours a week. I didn't have much of a personal life, so I loved it. I was all about it. I spent, though, about five years in my 20s involuntarily celebrating. It just locked away my desire. Welcome to the Stripping in the Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world dedicated to helping men break free from the shackles of addiction through the power of faith and fitness. It is our goal with every episode to help you take back control and rebuild your body, mind, and spirit. And we do so by bringing you real and raw conversations with people just like you, aiming to find their place in this world while dealing with the everyday struggles and battles that we all face. Now, it is my belief that we were all created for a specific purpose. And if we can harness that belief or faith, then take control of our mind and body or fitness, then we can ultimately create the life that we've always dreamed about, our own superhuman life. I want to let you know how grateful and blessed I am to have you here with me today. Let's get on to today's show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing episode of The Superhuman Life. As always, guys, I just want to remind you how incredibly grateful and blessed I am to have you here with me today. I'm your host, Frank Rich. And guys, we have a amazing, incredible conversation. Uh, today's guest, which I'll get to introducing him here in just a minute, uh, was introduced to me just a few weeks back uh, by, by a friend of the show. Many of you guys know the Strong by Design team, uh, Coach Chris Wilson over there at Critical Bench. Uh, they had Joe on his show, and, and obviously Chris knows the mission of what we're trying to do here. He's been a guest on, on the show all the way back in episode three. If you guys haven't uh, done so yet, make sure to check that episode out. But Chris is a friend of the guest, and, and he spoke with our guest, and he's like, hey, I think you're great for Frank. And I looked into him, and I was uh, fascinated by his story uh, and intrigued by the work that he's doing and what he's putting out into the world. So I reached out to him and I said, let's make this happen. So uh, our conversation was a, a mix of you know, me interviewing him, me, you know, really getting to a chance to know him a little bit better because I didn't really know a lot about him outside of uh, what I was able to find in just a couple hours of preparation for the show. But it really is a back and forth conversation. You guys know I love having just those uh, those conversational type of, of interviews and, and shows. And that's really what today is all about. Uh, before I get introducing uh, Joe to you guys, let me just remind you how you can help us. You know, this show is driven by your support. This show is a service that we're trying to put out to the world to really help you break through barriers in your life, to really help you take back control. So if you're getting value out of these conversations, if they are speaking into you and having an impact in your life, you can help us and support us in these two ways. First and foremost, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it is, just hit that five-star rating and leave us a written review if you are getting value out of this show. And more importantly, if there's somebody in your life, if there's somebody that you know that needs to hear either today's message or any of the conversations that we've had over these last few months, make sure to share this podcast with them. That'll help it get into more people's ears, get into more people's lives, and have a bigger impact on the world. So with that in mind, guys, let me introduce our guest to you. His name is Joe Bernstein. Joe Bernstein founded the Drop the Armor Wellness because he's on a mission to help other men feel the love and freedom that he learned to cultivate in his life when it fell apart all the way back in 2013. After learning to thrive romantically in response to a divorce, losing 160 pounds without diets, 
and leaving his first career to build a mission-focused business, he became lit up to help other men do exactly the same. Now, Joe's clients are often uh, times successful business owners, executives in high tech, leaders, creatives, entrepreneurs, and personal growth junkies. They are big-hearted men that often feel stuck in their heads, stuck in their careers, and desiring better health. Does that sound like a lot of you guys out there? Uh, now, Joe helps them to let go of the overthinking, and they begin to use stress as a motivator, begin to use fear as a motivator, which is a big topic in our conversation here today, to live a life rooted in a clear head and open heart and solid guts. So I think with that in mind, guys, I'm sure that introduction spoke to a lot of you. I'm sure there's a lot of you that resonate with the type of men that he's helping. So make sure to stick around. And in our conversation, uh, really explores a lot of his past. We go all the way back to his childhood and, and, and how much of his upbringing really began to shape the stories that he told himself, really began to shape the reality that he was creating in his own life. Um, and it, it took some trials and tribulations and, and like we said, some setbacks uh, to really allow him to unlock uh, his tools and unlock his purpose in this world. So this is an incredible conversation, guys. I hope you get so much out of this. Um, so before we move on to the conversation, I just want to add one more thing here. You guys know that uh, we are a faith-driven show. You know, Christianity is one of the three categories that we are listed in um, through our distribution. Um, but with that in mind, I'm never opposed to having people on, uh, never opposed to having conversations that maybe go against a little bit of my worldview and maybe go against a little bit uh, with the way that I see things. So with that in mind, guys, I just want to prepare you that towards the end of the conversation, uh, Joe says something that perhaps maybe I don't slightly agree 100% with. Um, and I struggled with removing this part from the show, but my whole goal here, my whole focus is full transparency. It's full vulnerability. And I want to give the guests, I want to give the people that I bring on an opportunity to really share themselves and really share everything that's going on in their life and everything that they see. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to set the precursor there that there is something that's shared towards the end um, that I don't fully agree with. And, that's, that, and that, that, has, that doesn't change the way that I view our conversation. That doesn't change the way that I view Joe. Um, it was amazing to get to know him a little bit. It, was, it, it is a relationship that I think is gonna manifest over the next couple months and years. And I'm, you know, I'm incredibly grateful I've had the chance to speak with him and really looking forward to what else he's going to put out into the world. He's definitely somebody that I'm going to keep my eyes on. I just wanted to share that small bit uh, before we jump into today's conversation, guys. So um, we left everything in there. I, I haven't altered this in any way. I just want to set that precursor uh, because I know many of you uh, identify yourselves as Christian. Many of you identify yourselves as men of faith. Um, so when you hear that, uh, just know that this is what I'm talking about. So without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with none other than Joe Bernstein, understanding the stories we tell ourselves. Love you guys. Hope you enjoy. So Joe, my brother, you know, it's, I haven't started a podcast with this question in a really, really long time. But when I look at you and for those of you that are on the audio, you're going to have to check out the video. You're going to have to go check out uh, Joe's social after this podcast. I need to know the story with the beard because a man does not have a beard on his face. Uh, that nature without a story behind it. Interesting. Oh, wow. I got to make up a story for my beard. Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, there is something to that, right? There's something to that. There's something about to that about past identity, current identity. Um, I, you know, as we'll probably break into, I spent a lot of my time hiding. I spent a lot of my time very heavy in a very, very big body, um, hiding my emotions, hiding my desires. And as soon as I could grow facial hair, I did. I mean, like literally, like I was 15, I was a dude who had like just the chin beard because I could grow it, yeah. you know, and then eventually the chin <laughs> strap and then, 
Um, but there was something to that. There was something to always desiring some sort of facial cover because I had the extra chin stuff, you know, that people would make fun of and, and I was just heavy. Um, so that being said, I remember when I, when I really was digging in, learning to lose weight, learning to, to, to expose and make myself vulnerable to women and, and to connect with myself and understand my emotions and understand my, you know, nervous system. Uh, I did. I want, at one point I was like, when I hit 220 pounds, I'm going to shave this thing and see how I actually look. I shaved it and I thought I had a cool face, but I was like, no, <laughs> I'm a facial hair guy. So so literally uh, during that time, I was still a store manager, a retail store manager for Bose. I loved it. It was my first career until I burnt out and that fell apart and I started my coaching practice. But I could only, you know, I could only, I had to keep it, I had to keep it reasonable. I had to keep it professional. And as soon as I quit and said, you know what, I'm getting out of this like corporate employment stuff. I'm going to go work for myself. It was almost like a game. I'm like, I'm going to see how crazy I can look and how crazy my beard can get. So that year, my beard just got, and I learned this about my beard. It doesn't get any longer than this. It just starts growing sideways and big okay. and big. So there was a point where I didn't, I didn't trim it or anything for like six or eight months. And it just looked crazy, like a little bit of a homeless look, but I, I didn't smell. So, um, you know, that's a little bit of story behind the beard. Otherwise, I just enjoy it. Um, I really feel it looks good on me. I'm blessed to have a lot of the like color, a lot of different colors and white. Yeah, it adds, it adds, it adds some, some dynamics in, 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 in personality there. And, and I don't know if you went back and, you know, you, you mentioned, listen to, uh, you know, one of the episodes, the, yeah. the original photo, you know, still the braining that we're using is, is of, of a season in, in my life where I had a very similar shape mm -hmm. to mine. And mine had that same thing. It would get to, you know, a certain length and then it kind of would flare out and get this kind of, curling effect and it, it would start to kind of blow in the wind and i was yep. like what's going on with this thing um but i resonate so so much and, and and i'm so glad you kind of you know you hit on a few things there with with identity and you know the shield and 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 you know kind of kind of false trying to cover things up and and i think you know in, in doing you know doing the work to, to prep for this i mean there's so many similarities kind of in both of you know yours and mine story so i appreciate you sharing that it was kind of just a fun way to kind of kind of kick it off we've had a few guests that have had um some pretty monumental beards so thought it'd be a nice way to kind of uh kind of lighten it lighten it up here a little bit but you know i think one thing i you know for for you you know it's interesting because you get people on here you kind of you kind of see people doing you know you made this massive career shift you mentioned the bows you know store manager and and now you're running your coaching practice you know a lot of times when you see people um, that are doing the type of work that you're doing that are that are really you know building a tribe building a community of, of of men and you know really helping them kind of step into you know their own you know best version or you know whatever whatever your terminology is that that you use a lot of that is a result of that that own man's journey you know what what we're doing here is is a result of a transformation in in my life so you know sometimes it it, it took a point you know maybe in their 20s maybe in their 30s maybe it was even later in life with that for you i know your story starts all the way back at the beginning um so why don't we kind of go there you know why don't we kind of go back to you know um you know the upbringing of joe um and then one thing i want to really hit on that i've heard you talk a little bit about is how your upbringing how your kind of family dynamic kind of shaped this story that you began to tell yourself so you know, maybe take us back there and, 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 and through this, you know, there'll be times I probably interject and, you know, try to pull out some nuggets. But, yeah, let's go back to little Joe. And, you know, like I said, let's kind of kind of focus on, you know, how the environment that you're in begin to kind of shape that story, because uh, I think it's so important, you know, because we all have this story that either there's a story that we're actually living 
you know, what is actually taking place in, in reality. But then we have this kind of false story many times kind of going on inside of our own heads. Um, and I know for you, there, you know, a big part of, of what you've done is really, you know, breaking, you know, breaking that false belief that was that was going on inside of you. You even said it with 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 the beard thing here. Like you always had this yeah. kind of false identity of who you are. So, yeah, that's enough of me talking here. So, Joe, take us back to the beginning cool, cool. and, uh, and we'll, we'll make this thing a lot of fun here. Well, I appreciate that because, you know, what stories we tell about ourselves or what stories we tell about people or what stories we tell about the world really have a deep impact on us. You know, um, I just wrapped up with a client today who's been with me for six months and uh, he literally said one of the most powerful things he got was he now recognizes all the patterns he created in his life based on the stories he was telling himself. And he can own the choice, the moment of choice where he hears the story in his head and decides it's not true and decides to take a different action that he used to. So like that is power, is owning our story and knowing it. Um, my story is like really, it's so many people's story. Mine just manifested in my version, right? So if we go back, I grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, middle class. I had a dad who worked his way up out of poverty. He grew up in Brooklyn, like with nothing, you know, and found himself in a good government job, making some six figures by the time me and my sisters were born. But his whole world was still based in that, that growing up in poverty and in scarcity. So with him, it was like never enough time, never enough money. Every opportunity was met with all the reasons why we can't. So I embodied that. Now, meanwhile, my mom was just like, she's just pure love. I mean, my mom to this day is just like, if, 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 if you were in front of her right now, she would tell you a million reasons why you're spectacular and how you're so handsome. And you're just like, she, she's just pure love mom energy. But she's also really based in, in fear. She has a lot of fear and scarcity too. Love is important. You're valuable. But the world out there is not safe. So I embodied a lot of messages about like, the world's not safe. You know, I used to have to, like she would watch when I go down to my friend's house, three doors down in a very, very, very safe suburban neighborhood, you know, and I have to like call for leaving. I couldn't just roam. So basically I had all the privilege in the world when it came to like material things. We didn't want for anything, but there was a lot of fear and scarcity and anxiety and stress in my family. And my parents just never learned. They didn't have all the emotional tools and techniques that we get today. Like my generation, our generation gets today. And so they often just were at each other's throats. All that scarcity turned into bickering, turned into fighting, turned into emotional violence. There was never any physical violence in my family. And how I handled it, and really how we all handle it, like we're not, we're not addicts in the traditional sense. No one in my family has been addicted to drugs, alcohol, gambling. But we became addicted to comfort seeking. I became addicted to comfort seeking. I became addicted to like using food to soothe my emotions, to soothe the feelings of powerlessness and fear and scarcity. And I used TV and video games in any way to check out from my reality. So by the time I was young, even like four or five years old, I was already a heavy kid. I was already overweight. Doctors would call me obese, which had me now in a home environment where there's scarcity everywhere, nothing is safe, and there's never enough time, energy, or money. And I was teased every single day, whether it be from kids on the, you know, out on the playing field, if you will, whether actually coaches and teachers, they, there was a lot of weight hate, and there probably still is today, but plenty more back in the 80s. So teased, made to feel different or less than by people even, you know, who are supposed to be in, in 
role model roles, leadership roles, adults in my life. And so I then took on all those messages. And so I, I, I combined that with like having a few learning disabilities, but being too prideful to take the accommodations, didn't want to identify as another thing that was wrong with me. So now I have this recipe where like, I'm always different and always seen for being the fat kid or the slow kid and not athletic, not has learning disabilities. So I, I'm not smart. I'm not traditionally, me and academia don't fit, still don't today. You know, it's like, so, I, I had all this idea that well, you can't be good in school. You're not fast or athletic. You're not attractive. You'll never be attractive to women. And by the way, love is full of toxic emotional energy anyway, which is like the belief system. So I just limited myself. I was a guy who literally in my teens remembered consciously, you know, people talk about unconscious beliefs. I consciously remember thinking like, oh, well, why should I go to college? I'll never, ha I'll never do good in college. So I'll never have a good job. I'll never make much money. I'll never be happy. I'll just have some mediocre career. I remember thinking like, no woman would ever like, you know, dig me. No, no woman would ever feel I'm good enough to be connected to, to be attracted to, to be sexual with. So I really hid my desire and I didn't believe I'd ever have a good life when it came to love, sex and relationship. Um, and I, I thought I'd just always be obese. I just always thought I'd be obese. I was over 300 pounds multiple times in high school. You know, I played sports, so I'd get up over like 315 pounds one summer and then I'd play football and I'd wrestle and I'd be down to like 250 by the next summer and I'd gain it back. So, so that was the, the basis of my life. And I basically created a life based on those realities. And now, of course, there's the whole thing, which I'm sure we want to talk about, which is like, well, what changed? What triggered the change, the transformation? What happened so that now I'm a coach and I help people in life and I've changed my life. But like, let me slow down there and and just see how that lands for you. What questions do you have at this point before we move into kind of the next level yeah, of the journey? No, no, that's, 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 that's great. Um, you know, we're definitely gonna, you know, definitely gonna continue, you know, continue this on, but there's, there's a few things I really want to kind of pick apart there. Um, you know, you talked about kind of your thinking always, you know, always being obese. Was this kind of the the norm within your family? Like, was everybody, you know, maybe not obese, but but slightly overweight? I mean, you talked about, you know, you didn't your, your family didn't come from food, you know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction, you know, any, any of the kind of typical addictions. I mean, when, when you really begin to kind of look at some of the research tied, you know, associated with addiction, food addiction is the number one addiction in 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 the world, you know, and and how, you know, certain foods, some of these comfort foods that, that you probably were, were eating, it has that kind of same, you know, triggering and firing in those dopamine responses that you get in your brain. So many times we don't correlate it with it because, you know, food is something you just walk into a grocery store and, and buy. So it's like we're not really, you know, many people don't really see it in, in, in the same lens. But, you know, spent the last 18 months, you know, really diving deep into how the brain works. So was that just kind of the norm with, with everybody around you? Like kind of, you know, you, you, you'd be at home or you'd be at a family gathering, you're looking around like, well, my family's just kind of more round than everybody else. You know, I, that's something I dealt <laughs> yeah. with, you know, like yeah. I, you know, I would, I would, you know, you, you, we were talking about, you know, Arnold uh, before, you know, before we, we, we started here and, you know, I, I would see, you know, I would see guys like Arnold in the magazine or I would see the guys, you know, this is back in the nineties as well. I think we kind of grew up in the same era. You know, this is when ESPN was, was, you know, broadcasting the Olympia. Uh, they had a lot of workout stuff going on. So I'd see these guys, but then I'd be with my family. I was like, we're just a little bit more round. So maybe we're just, maybe we're just different. Like I didn't, you know, as a young kid, like you don't really understand. So was that kind of the same, the same for you? Like you just, you were, you were living in this environment where everybody was just acceptance of, you know, being, being, you know, not fat, but I, I don't know if that's a, the, the best Here's word the to deal, use. Right? But. 
I feel you on this question. Yes and no. So, so this, is, this is a complex one, right? So my immediate family, I have two wonderful sisters, younger sister and older sister. Uh, my parents, you know, they're still together. God bless them to this day in their late 70s. And we were all heavy. We were all heavy. I was the, but if you were to like compare me to other people my age, I was probably the heaviest for the biggest myself. Now, that being said, I saw pictures all the time of my parents growing up. They weren't heavy till they had kids. My grandparents were all heavy, but none of them were heavy until like late life. So there was this powerful situation that happened. I think it's happened in a lot of homes growing up. There's scarcity. You know, I come from Jewish heritage. I come from, from families that didn't have much. And then within a generation or two, we had enough. And so we're in this place of, wow, there's abundance of food. Meanwhile, this is the 70s, 80s, 90s, where food chemistry was going crazy. And there was all these new ways of having cheap, easy, non-nutritionally dense calories. Meanwhile, the, the, the health fad, the fitness industry was getting buck wild at the same time too. And like pretty unregulated, still is to the day. But, but at the same time, so here's what was happening. We were like in acceptance of this identity of like, well, our family is heavy. You know, our family is heavy. But we had this dueling consciousness of like, yeah, let's go to the Chinese buffet because for 35 bucks, my dad, who was always worried about money, could feed the whole family. And we could never <laughs> But then at home, we were on Slim Fast and we were doing Thai, you know, what was the, the Taibo tapes and Richard Simmons and Lean Cuisine. And every, we tried everything, Atkins. We were the first people to do Atkins, you know? being like 12 and I was like, I just lost 14 pounds eating bacon and cheese. Like, what is that about? You know, but then I gained it back. So we, and then also big, you know, like some of the most positive memories I have were these big family Jewish holiday meals where it was like my, my grandmother and my great grandmother could cook and bake. So we, we reveled in food and we enjoyed it. And we saw ourselves as this identity of being overweight, but we were also always battling it too. We were also always in shame about it too. And we we're also always in this place of like trying to change it, but then not really having the capacity to dig into the roots of like, well, why is it that we're drinking a slim fast at home and then downing 3000 calories at Chinese buffet, you know? So, so that's a really powerful, complex question. I do mostly coaching with men these days. I, I do what I, what I call transformation to, from consumer to creator, from consuming an okay or kind of a boring life to a lit the fuck up life, right? So I do large scale life coaching for men basically who want more passion, who want more excitement, who want to change the way they show up in relationship or career. But I started after I lost all the weight because that's part of it. When you get to this part, I went through a divorce. I lost 150 pounds. I realized my career that I was passionate about was stale and that I, it was time to change and do something to help people. Um, but, you know, my, I started out thinking, well, I lost all this weight. And it was when I stopped trying to diet. It was when I started focusing on my emotions, when I started, started focusing on my beliefs, when I finally gave myself a chance to believe that I could have love and excitement and joy when it comes to dating and sexuality. I did all this inner work and that motivated me to take care of my body, my spirit, my mind, and the weight starts coming off. So I thought I was gonna like cure the world of, of obesity and so I, am tra I have training in eating psychology coaching. I actually have a certification in that. So it's so complex, our relationships with food, our relationship with body. 
And it's something that, you know, hint, hint, dudes, women have been in the space of working on this in some way, shape, or form, whether it be healthy or unhealthy, relationship to body, relationship to food for a long time. We have a lot of work to do there. I have plenty of clients who you look at them, you're like, they're fit. And they're like, dude, but for whatever reason, I binge eat at night. Or for whatever reason, I, I look great, but I can't, I look in the mirror and all I see is this little, little, little belly, you know? And so we have a lot, men have a lot of opportunity to do the work around identity, around food, around relationship to body, et cetera. I went off on like seven tangents, reeling back in. Right? No, that's, no, no, that's, 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 that's so good. I resonate, I resonate so much with that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's something you see, you know, you see, uh, you know, I spent a decade in the, in the competitive bodybuilding uh you know space you know competing you know getting prepping people for shows and that's something you see you know it's like you diet you diet you diet you diet for 16 weeks you get to the end of the show and then you know waiting for you the minute you walk you know you walk off the stage is an entire box of donuts and it's like you almost you know you you then begin to reward yourself and train yourself and and i've seen that happen so many times um yeah i resonate so much with that 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 story there like the 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 chinese uh you know buffet like we had a uh I wouldn't call it a prayer because there was no real association to, you know, uh, spirituality or, or any higher power growing up. But there was times my dad would, you know, before we would eat, he would say this little thing. and It always ended with the fastest one eats the most. And, you know, just that conditioning part of like, wow, like our goal is when we're out to eat, to eat the most. Like, OK, like I'm going to turn this into a competition. And it carried into my 20s. I mean, there were times like I don't know if you remember Olive Garden. They used to add this endless uh, pasta yeah. bowl thing. Like I would gather with my buddies and we would all put money down the table. Like who can eat the most pasta? Uh, mm -hmm. And it would be crazy. We would throw down six, seven, eight bowls of pasta to the point where literally you felt like you had to go to the hospital. So I resonate. I resonate so much with that there. I want to I want to get back to uh, your, you know, your work and your coaching and this identity stuff and, you know, continue on with the story. But there is one more thing that really jumped out at me. Uh, in, in your upbringing, I think it can resonate so much with today and kind of the times that we're living in. You know, you had talked about kind of, you know, you were this kid that had been surrounded by fear, you know, you know, the, the scarcity mindset. Uh, it was just something that was kind of it wasn't your fear because, you know, it's, it's kids, you know, like we're, we're scared of, you know, the monster underneath the, the bed. We're not really scared of the world around us. Um, but if you can, maybe, you know, like, cause we're going to have, you know, parents listening and, and obviously we're living in a crazy time. I don't, I don't want to take this conversation too off track. Um, but, but, but we do see it kind of a lot of fear, just kind of taking, you know, just really manifesting itself in, in the world. And I don't want you know, we don't really need to get into opinions of masks and, and, and vaccines, because I think no matter who we are, we can agree that, that the world is living in a state of fear right now. So maybe just talk to, you know, perhaps the parents that are out there. You know, it doesn't matter if the kid is two, five, 10 or, or 15 or, and, and how they just maybe need to be aware of how, you know, their own fear is going to impact their, their children. Cause I think you yeah. can really speak to that from personal yeah, experience. That's such a great question. Um, I've had a lot of clients, their parents, I don't have kids yet. I started late, you know, I was married and we didn't want to have kids. And then I got divorced at 31 and it took me a few years to even realize like, yes, I want children. You know, I'm with my partner now and we're building a life and we're ready to rock soon. But so I don't, I want to, I want to preface that is I don't want to give parenting advice, but I can tell you this from what I've learned about human beings, what I've learned about people's development of our belief systems and what I've learned about our patterns and our habits. One thing that I'd love to see more people do, whether this be in our relationships, like between partners <laughs> or between business partners, 
um, or between friends or especially from parent to child is for human beings, all of us, parents, whoever, to learn to understand our own fear and to own our fear rather than projecting it and placing all of our fear-based beliefs on other people, aka your kids, your wife, your boss, you know, your friend, right? So as a parent, my aim when I'm a parent is going to be like to really get in touch with the belief systems that I have that generate fear, with the scarcity thinking that because I'm a human being, because we're hardwired for safety, security, acceptance, love, belonging, which actually needs fear. Every emotion, I talk about every emotion is imprinted. It's hardwired into our DNA for a reason. It's part of our survival. So to get to understand the way we operate around fear, what are my tendencies around fear? What are my false beliefs around fear? What do I do in relationship when I'm in fear? How do I learn to expose myself and own my vulnerability so that I'm not just imprinting it upon my child or on my, upon my wife? You know, so essentially, oh, here's an example, right? And this will really resonate for dudes in relationship with women. You know, I, so my partner is going through some health stuff and like early in our dating, she had a really tough health crisis and I won't go into the details because that's her stuff, right? But about a week ago, she was like, yeah, well, maybe I can push back this appointment because I have this other thing. And I started trying to reason with her and convince her as to why that's not a smart idea, why that's not a sound idea, what could happen. And ultimately, I had to slow down and I just checked myself and I stopped. And I said, actually, baby, you know what? You do what you want. You're a grown ass woman and I trust you. But the truth is, I'm terrified at the idea of you postponing this appointment. I'm terrified. It scares me. And that being said, do what you need to do. So I do believe that if more partners, if more parents learn to own their fear without teaching other people how to behave so that they're like responding in the way I want you to, so I will be less afraid. Because that's what that's what we do. That's what my parents did. That's what they still do. I could call my mom right now. And be like, mom, we're on the podcast. Like she would find a way to take something she's afraid of and massage it as like teaching me something, as giving me guidance, you know? So we do that. I, I hope that make does that make sense as far as like Absolutely. what I want yeah. to see from people is learn about your fear, own your fear, learn to express it in a conscious way. So it's not just leaking out sideways as uh, objective realities that you teach your children. Yeah. So, I mean, just to maybe kind of, kind of even dive in a little bit deeper there and kind of, kind of, kind of drive home and maybe give, you know, somebody listening kind of, you know, it's got an aha moment, like it's, it's fear kind of controlling my life. Like how can we, you know, maybe learn more about our fear, you know, without, without kind of over, you know, psychoanalyzing ourselves. you know, is it a, um, you know, or do you have any tips and in, in, in tactical strategies that, 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 that you work with your clients and a, you know, identifying where the, you know, the root cause of the fear is coming from and then how to kind of get through it, conquer it, work through it, use it as a more of a motivating factor. Cause I believe fear can actually be a very strong, you know, driving force of, of, of motivation. One thing that I have, you know, my clients do, um, you know, early on in, in, in our program, it's, 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 we, you know, very similar to you, you know, I, I look at myself as more of a life coach and just, you know, pure addiction recovery. So I want to help you kind of paint a vision. Um, you know, we're kind of trying to reset this, you know, this reward center. If you have an aim that we're working towards, we have a goal, we can move towards it. And that's going to help us kind of, you know, reset our, our dopamine. But in, in doing that, we want to have the vision of where we're going. But I want you to kind of understand, like, if you don't get your act together, if you continue down this path, how bad can it be? So I had them write out a, you know, if I fail, 
you know, life, you know, five years down the road, if I don't get my act under control, if I don't, you know, stop this compulsive or addictive behavior with pornography, this is where I'm going to lead to because it's not just, you know, where I'm at right now, because it's going to continue to, to, to compound. I mean, look at any addiction, it's always got this escalation effect. So, so what do you do with, you know, in your life to, to, to identify fear, the root of where it's coming from, and then t- kind of maybe tactical strategies to work through it? Yeah. Well, you know, since I work with men and I work with a lot of men that I'd identify as like really smart, intellectual, heady kind of guys, uh, I would raise my hand and say, I'm an overthinker. And they are too, usually uh, by default. A couple things are going to show up. First of all, I like to do some intellectual teaching about what fear is. And all the different language that we use to not actually just say that we're afraid. Anytime you're moving fast, unless it's in an athletic competition, there's some fear going on. There's an opportunity right there. Slow down. What are you afraid of happening or losing if you don't, if you, if you slow down, right? So like, where are you moving fast? Where are you procrastinating? We don't just magically procrastinate. There's some outcome of the action that we're afraid of. These are all ways that you can look at like, well, how's my fear showing up? Whenever you say, I'm really stressed. How about try just saying, I am afraid because stress is actually the physiological response to fear, right? Mm. And so when you say I'm worried or I'm concerned, all these things that we've been taught to massage our language to fit into like the corporate world and to not look vulnerable, right? To be nacho or masculine, like, but that we're still allowed to have, just check them and recognize, oh, that's a fear. Like that's a natural human experience and understand I try and do the teaching really early with people. It's like, what is each primary emotion? Like we're looking at five primary emotions, joy, anger, fear, shame, guilt, sadness. There's six there, but they're kind of shame and guilt kind of hang out together. But uh, so essentially if we look at them, we break them down. What is the message behind it? What is the meaning behind it? So fear is very simply a perception of threat. Just a perception. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. So can we learn that that's actually a really good thing that we were taught? It keeps us, it keeps us alive. If we don't have fear, done, right? So fear is a good thing. It's our ally. It's a friend. Can we understand it at an intellectual level? Because dudes love to understand stuff at an intellectual level. And then I start to look at with people, all right, so now, you know, where does it show up in you and your body, right? Which is a hard one. That took me years of doing personal growth work and inner growth work to be able to understand the embodied reaction to fear. A lot of us, it's going to show up like right in the stomach, right under the solar plexus. Some people, it might show up like, you know, in the back of their neck or in their head or whatever. But like, can you start to do this? I'll take someone through a process of like, okay, think of a time that you were actually really pissed off recently. Like really, you were just livid about something. I'm close our eyes, remember the scenario, breathe into it a little bit. And, and inevitably, you start to feel, where does it show up? Where does fear show up in your body? So those are some of the things that I ask people to do. Um, what someone could do without having a coach in front of them, without having someone guide them, is just walk through your day and with on your phone, on like one of the notepads in your phone. Every time you say to yourself, oh, I'm really stressed or I'm really worried, or every time you find yourself moving fast, like I mentioned those examples, go ahead and just note it. Like that was a situation that I felt fear. So, so those are some examples. Um, I love things like the fear inventories. You know, Tim Ferriss talks about um, you know, your deepest fear list and what if the fear comes true, comes to life, et cetera. 
So those are the things that I think are, are really important. You know, we could do these these long lists of fears. We can go back and process experiences where, hey, any logical human being would have been afraid, but you told yourself you weren't afraid. I mean, there's so many ways, but but some of the basics are just learn what it is, own it, understand where it shows up in your body, and learn the language you use so you don't have to say I'm afraid. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, just 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 bringing it back to to kind of where we started here with the language and and, and the stories that we tell here, you know. Um, and being able to look at, you know, a sense of fear, or, you know, as, as more of a trigger of, hey, maybe there's something I need to kind of, you know, explore a little bit deeper work on. Like, I believe many times, like something that we're afraid of or, or fearful of, that's the opportunity. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to show itself in your story here. Like, you know, this, 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 this fear of who, you know, who could I potentially be, you know, and, and, and it manifests itself in, in weight gain. So um, bringing it back to kind of where we started, you know, we went in, you know, we went off on a couple tangents there, but I think it kind of, you know, we, we kind of kept things moving here in the same direction. So, you know, you briefly glossed over it, you know, you landed this amazing job, you know, working in, you know, working in the corporate retail space with Bose, um, you know, you, you went through this dramatic weight change. So, so take us, you know, kind of, if, if you can, you know, not taking up too much time, let's bridge the gap from, you know, the upbringing to, you know, fear-based identity uh, to kind of losing control, not really, you know, having a sense of purpose or really thinking you're going to be able to accomplish anything to, you know, was there an aha moment? You know, was there a single defining moment in your life? Was it a series of events? Was it a key mentor kind of, you know, kind of, you know, maybe, maybe take us through that. And then we're going to get more into kind of what you're doing here with, with Drop the Armor. Yeah. So, so essentially, you know, what happened to me was I created a life based on those beliefs that I had that were all based in scarcity and not being lovable and not being attractive not being smart. I found myself at 25 years old. I was 340 pounds. Uh, I went to, to college. You know, I applied to like two colleges because I really didn't, I wasn't jazzed about college, but where I came from, either you were dumb and you went to the military. No offense to anyone in the military because it's probably some of the smartest people I've ever met who I now know are in the military. But like that was the bull, bullshit culture of my, of my reality growing up where I grew up. It's like, oh, if you're not intellectual, you go into the military or you do some sort of handyman job. Or you went to college. So I applied to colleges. I went to University of Maryland for a couple of years and just, you know, lived that lived that life. I, I eventually dropped out because I just didn't believe I was a student. I found myself stumbling into a career with Bose Corporation, right place, right time. I was really gifted at presenting, demonstrating. I was gifted at sales. And before I knew it, they had groomed me into management. So again, by the time I'm like 25, 26, I'm running multi-million dollar stores for Bose. And I loved it. I was passionate. I mean, you could work me 60 hours a week. I didn't have much of a personal life, so I loved it. I was all about it, and I loved the values and the mission of a company, so it gave me something to believe in, something to do, and something to excel at. And I spent, though, about five years in my 20s involuntarily celibate. I didn't date. I was afraid to talk to women. I just didn't even, you know, I just, it just locked away my desire, and I shut that part of myself down just focus on work. But you know, at a certain point, I decided oh, I got to do something. So online dating was new, you know, back in the day. So the sto as the story goes, like I stumbled into a much better life than I thought I could have. I met someone through online dating. We got married. We both had good incomes. We traveled well. We ate well. You know, we, we enjoyed, we fostered pit bulls. It was like our thing that we did. And so here I am, I'm in this life where I'm like, you know what, life turned out better than I gave myself a chance to have. But what happens when you stumble into a good life? Or what happens when you follow, this is what most guys will do. They follow the path that they were told they needed to. Go to a good school, do well, 
be a nice guy, say the right things, wear the tie, wear the suit, you know, make sure you, you pluck your nose here, do all the things you got to do to fit into to society, look good. And you find yourself in something that feels stale. Well, I found myself in something that was better than I thought I could have, but it happens to guys that find themselves in lives they think they're supposed to have. You, know, you could have a multi-million dollar business that you thought you're supposed to do that wasn't truly based in your values. You're serving other people's belief systems. And what you do in those scenarios is once you get to a good place of comfort, I, and a lot of people do this, hold on for dear life. Don't take any, I wasn't taking any risks. I wasn't being honest a lot of the time with my ex-wife, the wife at the time. I never really stated my desires. It was all about pleasing and placating her and, and in a very needy way, always wanting her to be happy and trying to do everything I could to make her happy, but not myself. Same thing at work. I ran these stores. I was the one who scheduled myself. But at the end of the day, I always felt like I had to prioritize everyone else's needs. I had to be the one to take care of everybody. So here I am holding on for dear life, trying to look like I know what I'm doing all the time at work, trying to just not rock the boat at home. But we got ourselves into a pretty rough situation that way. You know, we, we fought a lot. We struggled in that relationship. And so before I knew it, I'm having health crises. I was having my like third or fourth kidney stone. I needed to have a surgery. It was a miserable time. It was 2012. I realized that I stopped going for promotions in my job. I got myself into a place where we bought a condo right next to my store. I could walk to work. It was a comfortable position. I didn't have to expose my weaknesses. I didn't have to put myself out there and do all the things that I wasn't good at and learn and grow any further because I was really comfortable. And so comfortable at work. My marriage is kind of a mess and I'm having this health crisis. I realized I don't want the next job. I realized I don't know if I want to do this work anymore. And I thought I was going to do it for the rest of my life. And then in walks my, my, my partner at the time. And she goes, you know, I haven't been happy for a long time. and went foot out the door. So the catalyst was all those things, career, health, my marriage, falling apart very rapidly in a period of about four or five months. By the time she walked through the door and said, hey, I'm done. I want a divorce. We've been in couples therapy. Something started to shift for me once I got into therapy. I'd never been to therapy before. She gave us books to read about relationships. She gave us five love languages and some of the classic relationship books. I was, like, I was fascinated by that stuff. Just like I was fascinated by the psychology of sales and the psychology of leadership, which is what made me uh, you know, good at my work. And so essentially, I just got the bug. I mean, she walked in. I was devastated. She said she wanted a divorce, but something had changed in me. I saw the opportunity to learn how to be in relationship, and I started going down the rabbit hole. So I started learning everything I could about mind-body connection and our stress and our nervous system and about attraction and about sexuality, which led me to men's work, which led me to spirituality. which led, It just became this, I, I had to consume everything I could about personal growth. And so before I knew it, I was on the other side of a huge transformation. In a year, I was happily getting divorced, dating multiple women that were out of my league with confidence and with power and with integrity. I had lost that year about 100 pounds. The truth was I'd already lost about 40, 50 pounds because my ex-wife taught me how to cook and taught me how to eat local and taught me how to eat organic. You know, So I was already starting to lose weight. 
And I finally, during at the divorce, within about a week, said, you know what? You can take responsibility for your life. You can change the way you show up. It was as if all the beliefs of me being stuck and stagnant and just this is who I am had dissolved. And it was like, look, I didn't give myself a chance to have a great life. I found myself in a pretty comfortable life, which is better than I thought I'd have. Now it's all falling apart. I can either go down the rabbit hole of failure and negativity and, and just like believing that this is what I'm meant for, or I can give it a shot. You know, I can go after it. There's nothing left to lose was basically what happened. And so I decided like, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to transform my body. I'm going to find love. I'm going to find some social life and some power, which led me to the point where after losing 150 pounds, being a totally different person when it came to love on women and sex, and really being on a high when it came to like understanding how we operate, I just, you know, I woke up one day and was like, this doesn't happen by accident. This happens for a reason. This is a sign from the universe that says, I got to help other, other dudes. Um, the truth, Frank, was the stuff I learned, it wasn't that complicated. It was just about doing hard work and being consistent. And so I, I just, it hit me that's like, people aren't teaching us how to be happy. People aren't teaching us how to be healthy. People aren't teaching us how to embody our sexuality and how to know how to really live into that and how to, how to do well in relationship. But it's all out there. There's coaches, there's authors, there's teachers, there's leaders that teach us this stuff. So I just, you know, basically one day said, I got to be one of them and uh, saved up, quit my job, sold all my stuff, <laughs> you know, like got my living expenses really small and said, I'm figuring this out. No matter what, I got to help people. And so it's, that was six years ago. So the transformation started in, in, in 2012. So it was about a two year process for you to kind of go through your own personal transformation, lose the weight. I'm sure there was obviously some time spent, you know, you don't want to be launching a business while you're kind of, you know, dealing with the legalities of, of a divorce. I'm curious, um, you know, what were, you know, you, you mentioned the five love languages, you know, what were maybe some of the other kind of, kind of key men's, you know, men's workbook. Um, curious, uh, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Robert, Dr. Robert Glover's work. Uh, nice guys finished last, you know, or, or no more than Mr. Nice Guy. I'm sorry. We had, we had Robert on uh, a few episodes back and, and as you're kind of explaining, you know, I'm going to work and I'm putting everybody else first and I'm coming home and I'm trying not to make her happy. It's like, nice guy, nice guy, nice guy. It's just kind of, I'm sure, you know, all the listeners are kind of the bells, bells going off. Cause so many, I got so many messages about that, uh, that episode. It's like, that's me. I didn't even realize it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Robert was, was, was some of the initial work, you know, what were some of the other men's work that you, that you got involved <laughs> yep, in? Yep. Yep. I mean, I found myself, uh, digging into no Mr. Nice Guy and doing every single one of the practices very early in that process. So there's no question that was an important book in my life. Um, and really what I did do was I, I did a lot, I read a lot of books that were just about humans and our emotions and our bodies, you know, for people who are into, into, into uh, food and nutrition, a really powerful book uh, is by Mark David. He has the uh, Nourishing Wisdom and the Slowdown Diet, which are great books about our relationship with food and body. Um, more recently, actually, I know that this was just mentioned on one of the recent episodes, but in the past few years, I've read a really transformational book I want every man in the world to read, and most women and most non-binary people, called Fire in the Belly by Sam Keen. Uh, I actually think that now that I've done a lot of work on myself in many, many ways, one of the most powerful books I've ever read about men was by a woman, is by a woman named Bell Hooks called The Will to Change. Um, which is like a really liberatory approach to men and our emotions and our souls and our spirits. Those are some powerful books. I mean, there's so many. 
A book that I really use a lot in my work with people these days is uh, the uh, TED, The Empowerment Dynamic. The Power of TED, The Empowerment Dynamic by David Emerald. It's really about how to transform being caught in victim consciousness or the drama triangle, you know, and turning it into an empowerment dynamic, shifting from victim or what I like to call consumer, because I think most of us are more consumers than we are victims, into a creator. How to stop be, you know, being a perpetrator and looking for perpetrators and see challengers and be a challenger. How to stop finding people who, who, you, who want to rescue you, or you're going to rescue people and they'll rescue you, and find coaches or coach people, right? So that's a huge, I love that book, and it's so simple and so powerful. And those are just some of the ones that come off the top yeah. of my head. No, that's great. No, and, and and as you guys know, we'll get all of those books mentioned as we do on every single show listed down down in the show notes. Um, one thing I want to make sure we we hit on because I mean I could I could list you know a hundred books that that every guy should read, but reading and doing are 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 two different things. So I know this is something I've heard you talk about as well. It's like you know you don't want to just and, and and I don't think it's what you're saying when going from consumer to creator, but you know I I feel sometimes and this is ha this has happened in in my life you know really for probably a seven year stretch. I just became this consumer of information and knowledge. I was like, I, you know, I, I felt if I was going to the event, if I was going to the seminar, like that, that was me winning. If I was reading the book, you know, it's like I got my 10 pages a day, like, and I would, you know, I'd journal about it. And I was like, okay. But then I never actually actually applied any of, you know, any of the learnings or any of the knowledge that I was, that I was gaining. So, you know, just, just if, if you can maybe speak to, you know, obviously consuming, but, but the need of, of, of implementing what we're learning. Yeah. Well, consumption's a part of life. Uh, you know, I think most of us were, were unconscious with how we consume. So the key is to get conscious with how we consume. And when it comes to personal growth work, I see a little bit of an archetype. I see dudes who we want to be all up in our heads. You know, a lot of my work I, I talk about and I try and lead men into a place of a clear head, an open heart, and a solid guts. But I'll tell you, a lot more of the work is in the guts and the heart than it is in the head because we've been using head our whole lives. So there is a shift that needs to happen. You know, I see one of my coaches, Trip Lanier, who's also got a really cool podcast and a good book, um, The New Man by Trip Lanier. Check it out. <laughs> you know, he coined the phrase, I don't know if he coined it or if I just got it from him, which is the personal growth junkie. The guy who turns his addictions into personal growth addictions. I got to grow. I got to change all the time, which is a beautiful place. But when it's all about consuming information, we're not creating transformation. Knowledge turns into wisdom when we take that knowledge and we take consistent action to create change in our lives, right? And so that's a huge thing is it for, and I'm talking, literally, I'm talking to you. I'm ta these are all my clients. This is who I can be when I get unconscious. If you're in a spot where you keep going to the seminar, going to your men's group, going to your therapist, reading the next book, listening to all the podcasts like you are right now and you're like hey but i haven't really changed my relationship with my body or you know what i'm still in that dead-end job or i'm still you know i still am not standing up to my boss or but me and my my wife my partner we're still not getting on as much as i want to or i've been dating and just find myself in this place where i get close to someone and then i back away right because of intimacy or if you're not changing the patterns in your life there's a need to do more creation work, more action work, more implementation, more integration work, and less of the consumption work. There are guys where I literally make an agreement, like, if you want to work with me, I need you to take the first two months, 
and shut off the podcast, stop reading the books. You're going to do the work that I've asked, I'm asking you to do. You're going to do the journaling, you're going to do the experiments, you're going to do the hard conversations, you're going to do the meditation and the workout. You're going to do instead of learn, right? And learning is powerful. It is transformative, but we have to implement to create. We have to take action to create. And that to me is the part where a lot of people don't take enough action. They want to consume. They're looking for the next answer. They're looking for the next easy piece of information that will change their world. I've had those. Let me take a breath and slow down on this one. But ultimately, it's really going to be about if you read a book, read one chapter, do something. Do something. That's why people need coaches. The average person, they're going to read the book. And they're going to be inspired and they're going to talk about it and they're going to understand intellectually and they're going to feel this ego when they hit, when they're like in, talking to their buddies who are also in the personal growth and they're like, yeah, you know, Dr. Glover, yeah, I learned this, you know, covert contracts, all, right? But ultimately, it's going to take support from other people, a good men's group, a good therapist, a good coach to push you to say, cool, what are you going to do to expose your covert contracts this week, right? What are you going to do to take action to start? Moving towards quitting the sugar addiction, quitting the smoking, starting your meditation practice. And for all of us, there's a next level. For me, there's always a next level. For you, there's a next level. That's why we get we have coaches still and why we're in you know group programs and why we have you know meetings that we go to or whatever it is, communities that we involve, are involved in. Because it takes human beings to help push us out of our comfort zone and get us to the next level, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that one part there from you, from, from your coaching, you know, cut off all the other consumption of information. You can listen to my podcast. Cause I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of this is, is built into, you know, there's, there'll be parts of yours and I's conversation that will be taken into my coaching program. But it's funny. I was having a conversation with a client. Uh, this is probably going back two weeks now. He was early, he was fresh in it and he, 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 he was still struggling. And he's like, yeah, you know, like not, uh, I'm struggling with doing the work, but then I'm watching these videos on no and I'm like, why are you watching any more videos? Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laying out the system for you yeah. here right now. Like he was just, he was a paralysis by analysis. Like he wasn't doing our work because, you know, and it's not that, you know, maybe the message was, was contradictory. I don't know, but you know, like it's somewhere there was a, there, there was a disconnect from what he was watching on this video that maybe had, I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of views. He's like, well, this guy, a lot of people are watching this and, and, and Frank, you're not really saying the thing same thing over here. So he's not taking action on my work, but then he's not really taking action on this work because he paid me. And it's like, well, duh, that's why you're still kind of struggling with the same problems you've had since, since the beginning. So that's, right. that's, 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 that's massive there. I mean, but, yeah. but really a key point I, you hit on there. It's, it's go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. You were going to say the key point. I still want to hear that. Cause oh, I was just really hitting on, you know, hitting on your accountability and hitting on, hitting on your yeah. community and being in those environments and having the support, uh, you know, having the support yeah. is one thing. That's a group. Having accountability is, is another thing. Your group doesn't really hold you accountable. The accountability has got to come from there being kind of maybe, you know, a little bit of, you talked about you having, you know, coaches. I think accountability comes when there's something that's actually at risk of losing. Like if I, if I join this program, if I pay, if I put skin in the game, you know, uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini talks about the importance of investing into something in his book, Influence. But you got to, you know, either buy a program, uh, pay a coach, or one thing I give, you know, if you're not going to hire a coach, stroke a checkout to a charity that you don't support. And the minute that you slip on your own actions, mail it out. That'll that'll hurt really hard. Um, so, no, I just wanted to cut, touch touch on the accountability yeah. and, and, and community there. But Yeah, and what I wanted to do really quickly as well is like, I'm pretty intense. You're pretty intense. 
week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We do our work. Obviously, we're doing work. And I even laughed a little bit when you described the guy. You know, it's like, but but what I actually want to do right now is pause and speak to people who are in that pattern and actually have compassion and say, I get it. I've been there. We all do it in some place. The reality is that's not your fault. You've been conditioned to learn and to base your identity on having the right answer and on taking in information. And you've also been conditioned to do enough to feel like you're making some kind of change, but to still stay comfortable and to still stay safe enough. That guy you described, that's a learned pattern. Men are always taught, well, you have to actually disprove what other men believe. He's in a pattern of unhealthy masculinity or competitive masculinity, whatever it is, going like, hey, well, I hired this guy to help me, but I'm still going to go ahead and take in more information rather than do the work. I'm still going to go ahead and try and find holes in his theory because that's what we've been taught to do as men with each other is to compete rather than collaborate, is to challenge rather than trust, right? And so I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there. Like, dude, if you're listening, you're, you're definitely listening. Like, it's okay, man. It's okay. Like, no need to shame yourself for being in that pro. But, but it's, it might be time for change. It might be time for change. And so, so that's just important. A big part of the work I do is like, we got to look at how we release the shame and negativity and guilt for being where we're at. I love to say like, forgive yourself for how long it's taken you to get here. And for how much further you still have to go, no matter where you at, you're at in your journey. I think that's really important to creating change is to come from a place of love, compassion, and challenge and accountability. Can't just it's not, one or the other just isn't going to work. You got to bring them both. Yeah, no, that's great, and, and 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 I appreciate you there. And and yeah, I'm I'm intense. I'm not a little bit intense. I'm very <laughs> intense. Um, but but it but it but it comes you know but it but it comes you know it, it comes through the heart. I mean I I I fully operate from a place of love. So uh, if that you know if that was aggressive or or intense in any way, that's me, and and that's what people are always going to get, and and that's why there's. I think it's so incredible that there's you know so many unique and and you had this kind of soft kind of delivery of, uh, uh, about how you kind of articulate your words, but you know I think we gotta you know we got to have our little bit of differences. You know, I'm going to attract certain guys. You're going to attract certain guys, but I really appreciate you kind of, kind of pointing that out. I think that was, that was an incredible point. Um, yeah. I want to hit on this word. Oh, it's okay. It's... I kind of laughed. I kind of giggled at like, oh yeah, that guy. And I was calling <laughs> for being like, nope, that guy has been taught that. I've been there. Well, because I've been there. I've, I've been there. I've yeah. been there before, and I and I wrestle with it every day. You know, I have a business coach that I pay a significant amount of money to every single month. Yet I still challenge with like, okay, I'm, I'm in this program, but this over here looks really, really good. And I got to pull <laughs> pull myself back. So I'm speaking from know, a place man. of like real personal experience there. Um, I want to I want to have you you know touch on if you can creator. You know, I, I I see it's a big word. You know, in in your content, I see it's a big thing. You've mentioned it multiple times here. Um, you know, and, and so I'm just curious, like, you know, do you have a a defining definition of the word creator? How do you kind of articulate, you know, what it means to, you know, become this creator, you know, with a capital C and, and really what I've seen you spell, you, you, you capitalize every word. So, so what's just kind of the meaning (laughs) or, or kind of how do you define, you know, what it is to become a creator? You know, uh, so, so a creator to me is someone who is taking themselves off of autopilot. 
they're creating a lot of consciousness of their choices in life, whether that be story that they tell themselves, whether that be the patterns that they say, like, well, this is just who I am. This is just how my family is. Or whether that be the choices of whether or not they're going to get that snack at like 10 p.m., right? We're creating a lot of consciousness in our choice. And so we're not on autopilot where we're just consuming. And we're making choices that are based in our own values and that are based in what we want and are based in our vision for our life. So it's about being generative instead of being reactive, right? And it's also about learning to have a grounded place where you feel the things that suck and you acknowledge the things you're afraid of and you acknowledge the pain or the shame or the, the problem, but that you realize that every problem is something that you can transform into a possibility and then into a project. You look at every obstacle and you turn it into an opportunity. And again, I want to be real clear because I did the toxic positivity stuff in the beginning, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about rose-colored glasses. I'm not talking about Pollyanna, but like feel what you feel and then learn to create from it, you know? So, so that's what it's really about. It's also about someone who takes the lead, right? Like I'll take the lead at times when I want something with my partner. I also need to learn how to follow. It's somebody who takes the lead at work. I mean, I have clients all the time. And it's like, well, in my company, like no one ever takes vacations. I'm like, dude, they're pay they you have PTO, but just because your boss doesn't take vacation and the guy doesn't take vacation and the CEO doesn't take vacation doesn't mean that you can't. So if you feel burnt out and you want that space, you do the bold strokes, the vulnerable things, the courageous things to go create the vacation, right? Well, my partner, she's never in the mood. She's never this. She's never that. And guess what? There's opportunity for you to learn about how to cultivate your own sexual power, your own reality, and to then do that work on yourself and then bring it into the relationship. So it really is about you know, not blaming others, not shaming yourself, but looking at like, hey, maybe it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. So we have vision. We have emotional fluency. We have the capacity to learn and hear our self-talk that's negative. And we can really transform our situations, our problems, our challenges into more of what we want in this life. You know, it's, it, it, it's like I could go on forever about this, but it is. It's about, and here's the thing, guys will try and out-muscle it with their heads. And you can't do it in your head. You got to open your heart. You got to get into your guts and learn about what's, what your intuition is. And you got to take risk. You got to take risk and learn to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and do the hard stuff, you know, and manage your energy and really learn to challenge your relationships, not just the ones you're in, but like your relationship to time, your relationship to work, your relationship to money, your relationship to food, your relationship to love, whatever it may be. So that's it. A creator, man, I could go on about this stuff, but a creator, you're, you're lining your head, heart and guts. You're practicing your self-care. You're grounding into a sense of self-trust because of your consistency in your self-care. And you're opening yourself to self-love, which is like really where the badasses in this world come from. Like you, man. You said it's like you're intense, but you come from the heart. So um, I'll slow down there because I could keep going. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's – I, that's, I, I mean – I framed it. Yeah. 
that's 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 incredible. I mean, it's you know just just coming off of you know last week's last week's episode, we had Stephen Presto. I don't know if you're familiar with, with his work, the 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 art of war. Yeah. And you know, he I'm just going to steal a quote. You guys heard it on on the you know the last episode, but I think it it just resonates so much with what you're sharing here. You know, creative work is not an, a selfish act or a bid for attention on the part of the actor. It's a gift to the world and every being in it. So don't cheat us on your contribution give us what you got. Like every single one of us was given this a powerful ability to create, you know, whether it's creating life, you know, whether it's creating art, you know, literature, music, creating powerful, meaningful conversations that can then be shared with the world and have a deeper impact. Every single one of us walking this green earth has the ability and has the power living inside of us. And I think you and I will both agree upon this, that, that our role in this life, our purpose in this, in this world is to find what that creative this is living inside of us and and bring it out to to serve others and make the world a better place um yes, so i'm so in tune with 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 what you're sharing Pressfield too by the way so that book is another one yeah. put that in the show notes the war of yeah. art. you can translate that book into anything into love mm. into your relationship with your body into your work it, you don't have to be a writer or author or artist Mm-mm. and to be a creator you don't have to find that one thing every day of your life you can be a creator I wake up, mm. I do my morning routine, I get to work, I say, I, I'm conscious of what the things that I say to my partner, you know, and the things I say to myself, we create our day. And when you create your day consistently, you create your life, you know, you create mm. that lit the fuck up life rather than holding on for dear life, which is one of my, one of my taglines, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Create, you know, instead of, instead of being reacting in, 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 in so many people in this world, you know, we, we live in this constant reaction. Alarm goes off, we hit snooze, roll over, start looking at Instagram. Mm-hmm. We're responding to the world. You know, the news is on <laughs> CNN. They're screaming at us like, you know, coronavirus is going to kill you. No, it's got a 0.001% death rate. <laughs> but it's just we're always constantly, uh, you know, living in this in, in this reactive state. And, and, and that's where, you know, some of these, you know, we didn't get a lot into, you know, health and, and, and sickness and, and all of this. But understanding, just bringing it all the way back to, to fear, like, like, don't allow fear to, to, to control your life. So brother Joe, this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, I know that people are going to, I got so much out of this. Um, it, 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 you know, things resonated things, you know, obviously there was, there were some new kind of, kind of spins on things that I, that, that I heard here, things that I'm going to start implementing, like I said, in my coaching and, and, and in my life. So I want to give you an opportunity, you know, for the men that are out there, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some that, that are resonated with it, you know, and, and, or maybe want to go deeper with you. Um, so, you know, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about, I know you have to drop the armor. You mentioned, uh, getting lit, you know, maybe even define like what it means to, to get lit or live a lit life. Um, so yeah, just kind of, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of share where you're hanging out these days. What are some big things, uh, that's, that you're working on any, any exciting things kind of, kind of coming up that you can share with us. And then, uh, we'll just bring it home here. Sure. You know, uh, being lit up is simply about being passionate every day, no matter what life throws at you, you know? Even if you're in a deep depression, it's like you're passionate about what that depression is giving you, it's t- teaching your soul, you know, so that you can come out of it and be even more empowered and embodied and know yourself deeper, right? Like that's it. It's about being lit, being excited about the trajectory of your life, being in a place where you have a vision for what you want, you're going after it. And maybe that vision is just like, hey, I love my job. I love my partner. Uh, I want to stop yelling at my kids. <laughs> you know, <like> maybe <laughs> that vision is like- oh, to go, guy, It could I be a start. Yeah, wrapped up some work with where he was like, he'd worked for Google in his early 20s. He hated it. And he's been on this journey to figure out what he wants. And he's now creating products and is doing 
plant medicine, shamanism, and starting intentional communities. For him, it's like part of our work was he was like, I want to move to Brazil because I can live off 1200 bucks a month in Brazil and do whatever I want and take five, six years to build all this if I need to. I lo- you know, that's so it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. It could just be a matter of being lit up about the day to day stuff that you do, or it could be that full scale transformation in your life and creation where people can find me. So I do have one on one coaching. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but at the moment I got a couple slots open. So if people are interested in, what I, in, in connecting with me, you can just straight up email me at joe at dropthearbor.com. You can also find me on, um, on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Just search Joe Bernstein or Drop the Armor. And on Facebook, if you want to hang out with some dope humans of all gender identity, not just dudes, then ch- check out Drop the Armor Dojo. It's a place where we're working hard to make the choices of love over fear, courage over comfort, and creation over consumption. It's a really beautiful community. People are sharing their lit up life, sharing their challenges, sharing their beauty, sharing their gold, you know, in this really amazing way. Think of like a men's group, but online, but for, for people of all gender identity, because I, you know, I got to give love to you know, women and non-binary folks too. I can't, can't just serve men, even though I work with them directly. You know what I mean? So that's it. Yeah, no. Find me. Got it. No, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll 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 get all Joe's stuff plugged in down there. That's Joe at Drop the Armor and A R M O R. Correct. You got it. All righty. All right. So yeah, Joe. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we'll get yeah. we'll get all that stuff plugged in. Um, cool. anything big, exciting? You know, kind of, kind of, kind of you're working on, or or any fear, uh, that you're currently working through yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, there are some big fears going on in my life. There's also things I'm working on. Uh, this is April 1st. I'm taking April off of social media. Uh, this was probably the last thing I would even consider doing that I call business building. I'm serving the clients that I have right now in my, uh, you know, I got a couple of people I'm talking to about joining my work, but otherwise I'm actually taking a breather and I'm looking at like, how do I want to frame the next step in my work? What do I want to create going forward? And I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, of losing the momentum. I'm afraid of losing the trajectory. I'm afraid of the, the social media algorithms forgetting about me and all that stuff, you know? But I just decided it was the time to do it. My partner and I, we got a place out in the mountains of West Virginia. So now I have a retreat space. I can go into the woods. I can just be. I can work on deeper levels of creation rather than the daily grind of creation. That's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about building my life with my amazing partner, Natalie, where little over two years in and we're getting closer and closer to buckling down to create that family because she's it and she's she's just I love I love where we're at together so that's a little bit of what I'm lit up about and a little bit of what I'm afraid of in this moment that's awesome man no appreciate appreciate you sharing sharing that I'm excited to kind of see what comes out of this 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 month for you I know um you know I spent some time up in in, in North Georgia not an entire month but I spent seven days up there um in early 2019 and 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 this that we're doing uh, is a result of, of that. It was, you know, it, uh, this, this podcast was developed uh, in a cabin in the mountains. Uh, people laughed at me like, why do you got to go to the mountains to put a podcast together? Cause that's how I roll. Um, so, so that's really exciting, man. Uh, excited to see what, what, what comes up here, man. So, so brother, I appreciate you so much. This, this, this has been an amazing conversation. We have one question we end every single episode with, um, you know, it may be something that has been shared here before. Uh, it may be kind of a, combination of of everything we talked about here but obviously the show is called the superhuman life it is a direct result of a transformation that took place in my life you know i lived in this kind of false 
identity, fear state, you know, running from who I was inside, building this shield of a body. Literally, I put, you know, 250 pounds of muscle on to prevent myself from the world, from people really getting to know who I truly was when I was able to break that. And I literally had to break my body down. It took me, you know, dropping 50 pounds of muscle. I went through a dramatic transformation. Um, you know, there was a, there, there was a spiritual component to that as, as well. And I realized that, you know, I was created here for a very specific purpose. I was put on this earth at this time for, for a calling. And, and I feel the work that I'm doing here is that. So when I talk about living a superhuman life for me, it is it is more of a a a, a deeper philosophy or or a belief or or a way about how I just kind of see the world. Uh, but I always love to get you know the guest take on on living a superhuman life. So so Joe Bernstein, as we bring it home here today, how would you define living a superhuman life? I love that question. Um, being super connected to your humanity is living a superhuman life, and what I mean by that is. On one hand, owning your unlimited possibility and potential to be that creator that we spent the last hour talking about. And on the other hand, deeply identifying with the reality that there's so much we don't know. There's so much we'll never know. Embracing the not knowing, embracing the wounded parts of ourselves, embracing that life can be a mess and we're not perfect and no one in the world has it all together. And we've disconnected ourselves from so many of our, 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 our just our natural ways of being as a human. So can we reclaim the body, the spirit, the soul, the attention that's been stolen from us so often by modern life? Can we lean into being driven by love and not just you know money and status and looks and all? It's like, can we be really human? and natural and own that we are a mess and we're possible, we're capable of everything. We're capable of anything we want. And so it's that paradox of owning all of our humanity that I believe creates a superhuman. Incredible. So, so well said guys, you, you heard it here. You were, you were given the power to, to create, go live a lift life, drop the armor, but for, for Frank, Joe, guys, if you enjoyed this conversation, obviously get connected with Joe. We're going to have all his information plugged down in the show notes. We're going to have all those books for you guys as well. Uh, but don't just consume. You know, consume and, and take action and apply, just like we shared with, with you here today. And obviously, if you guys found value in this conversation or any of the conversations that we've had here on this podcast, we, we always appreciate those, those ratings, reviews. That's what helps us continue to grow. That's what helps us get this message out there to more and more men just like yourself. So if you haven't done so yet, we would appreciate it if you left five-star rating and review right there on Apple or whatever podcast platform you are listening to. But for Frank Rich, Joe Burstein, we love you guys and we'll see you next week. Hey guys, thank you so much for sticking all the way till the end here. Um, if you've been around for a while, seen or listened to any of our episodes, you know that I haven't done an outro like this before, but because of what I mentioned in the beginning of the intro or towards the end of the intro, right before we got into today's episode, I just wanted to add another layer of context into what I was uh, speaking to. So if you guys listened to the entire episode, then you probably heard Joe mention uh, when I when he was sharing uh, where to connect with him socially, where where you could find him more online, uh, that he's building a community, he's building a tribe. Um, and although he does work predominantly with men, he did explain uh, that his group is open to men, women, uh, binary, or anybody that identifies in any other uh, any other way. Um, so I just wanted to share, you know, uh, and, and I don't want to do this from a controversial perspective, and that's not my goal here. Um, just, you know, as I said, we, um, 
we're a Christian show. We're, we, we fall under the category. Um, so like I said, I'm also priding myself on having conversations that maybe don't always fully align with me. We've done it a handful of times and, um, it's, it's something that I always want to give the guests the opportunity to fully share themselves and give them a platform, uh, to just put their message out there. And that's, and that's what I'm doing here with this show. But with that in mind, guys, I just want to, uh, from my perspective, from the way that I see things, uh, Genesis one twenty seven does tell us that God created man in his image, both man and woman. And, and I believe that, um, our sex and our, and our gender, um, are one, in fact, the same thing that they're just two different ways of, of explaining this. And I don't want to, you know, overly uh, spend time on this, um, uh, because we're not a political show. Um, we're, we're a show to help people. We're a show, uh, to really service the world. And that's really my goal here is to have an impact. Um, and like I said, I wrestled with removing that. Um, but it doesn't align with who I am and it doesn't align with what I'm tr- really trying to create here. So I didn't, I wanted to fully leave it in there. Like I've said multiple times. Um, so with that in mind, guys, I just wanted to, you know, thank you for joining us. Thank you for lending us your ear all the way till the end, or whether you're watching on, on YouTube, thank you for watching all the way till the end. I hope that this, uh, episode spoke to you in one way, one shape. And, and I hope that maybe you're going to look deeper into some of Joe's work. If you're one of those men that identified with the type of people that he works with, um, you know, just reach out to him and, and, and continue to follow. Like I said, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to continue to put out in this world. So I thank you again, guys. I really hope that this uh, episode was valuable to you. If it was, make sure to either subscribe there, leave us a comment on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button and leave us a five-star rating and written review. But without further ado, guys, thank you once again from Frank Rich. I love you so much. We'll see you next week.